This is the Unstoppable Podcast, where we are dedicated to bringing you comprehensive insight into the ways and purposes of God. We hope this podcast will encourage, equip, and empower you with meaningful insight from the Word of God to receive His promises and live a life without limits. As you realize your potential, you will join a dynamic group of passionate people who are actively bringing the unstoppable power of heaven into the darkest places on earth. Here is your host, Justin Self. Hello and welcome. This is the Unstoppable Podcast, and I'm Justin Self. And the title of today's podcast is Cooperating with the Laws of Prosperity. You may recognize this is a theme. Uh, I was just looking it up. And I noticed that this is the sixth, this will be the sixth podcast we've done on prosperity and finances. And we have two blog posts on the subject as well. So like, apparently this is a, this is a pattern with us. I was thinking about that. It's like, oh, that wasn't planned. But you know, I, I think the reason why is because this is an area where Jenny and I have seen so much of God's faithfulness. We put him to the test. We have put the word of God to the test in so many areas. Of course, you've heard that on, on other episodes, you know, real experiences and things. But I think when it comes to prosperity, especially, this is an area where God has really shown himself faithful in our lives. And so I do refer you to some of the other podcasts we have on the subject. In fact, Jenny and I actually are on one of them uh, talking about budgeting. So I really encourage you to check that out. I think it's good. But today, this is going to be cool. This is a live episode. We recorded it live when I was sharing this message at our local church here in Los Osos, California. And I think this is a topic that's extremely important. I think that people have taken prosperity and done some things that are wrong in both in both areas, like people preaching it and teaching it too much and trying, you know, getting too much on the on the, you know, hey, gimme, gimme kind of thing, you know, like we're just gonna use God or we're gonna use giving to to just only focus on receiving ourselves. And on the other end of the ditch though, there's just as much issue on the other side where it says, well, you know, prosperity isn't for Christians and that's just, you know, prosperity gospel and that's like a bad thing. It's like a bad word, you know. I think probably a way that you can figure out where you are on that spectrum is how does the word prosperity sit with you <laughs> when you hear the word prosperity in the in the context of a, you know, a Christian broadcast or, you know, a, a church service or something. What does it do to you? Something to think about. I do believe that the word prosperity is is a good thing and, and God does have some amazing things for us if we read his word and we apply these things correctly. So, so that is what we're talking about, laws of prosperity. And so you might recall in the physics of faith series that I related the physics of the natural realm, like gravity, electromagnetism, those types of things to God's design intent in all of creation. And so we were talking about specifically with regards to faith. Here we're going to do the same thing. We're, we're dealing with the laws of prosperity. And so in the message, I kind of end up going down a direction that's more like, hey, here's like the heart and soul behind giving and heart and soul behind prosperity and finances in general. But I do want you to understand that there are laws that govern pro- how prosperity works, how giving works. And at the end of the day, you know, knowing Jesus is, is the number one thing. Having an intimate and personal relationship with him and talking with him, walking with him, and hearing his voice, and you know, navigating life with him. Of course, by being born again, by receiving Jesus as salvation, and, and realizing that he's the only way to God, that's the number one thing. And so walking in that opens up the door to a tremendous amount of life. And it's just so hard to explain it other than you know using just my stories. And so that's what we're gonna do here today. So I do wanna share some really neat updates. We do have uh, Kynos Global, you may have heard that if you're on our email list. Kynos Global is the uh, nonprofit organization that Unstoppable falls underneath. And there's a teaching branch and there's a going branch. 
So Unstoppable is in that teaching branch. We're teaching the Word of God and we're doing podcasts and blogs and books and all that stuff. Oh, by the way, yes, Face to Face is online, of course, as you know. If you haven't read the book yet or or got the book, I encourage you to to get that book. It's called Face to Face and it's an 18-day journey of hearing God's voice as his friend. And I just recently was talking to someone and how that book just really blessed them and they said that they were hearing God's voice you know, after reading that book and it just, they were, they were really turned on to it, you know, and they were kind of seeing things in a whole new way. So I'm excited that God is using that book to speak to people's hearts. So we have it on uh, Amazon. Um, I have a Kindle version and we are working on an audiobook version as we speak. And so in September, we're going to have an episode that's all about the vision, the mission um, of Kainos Global and our current projects in Kenya. What are we doing? You know, some, some of you are, are wondering what exactly we're doing in Kenya and, and what that entails. And so I'm gonna, I've decided to dedicate the entire episode in September to that type of thing, where we're going, what we're doing, what's next. Finally, I do want to mention that we do have a brand new giving platform on our website. That's unstoppablepodcast.org. You can just click on join the mission and you can see right there, it's, it's right embedded in the website. So you're, you're welcome to give gifts. And now, since we are a official 501c3 organization, we can give you tax receipts. That's new. That's an update. That's pretty cool. And there's a story behind that as well <laughs> about how we got everything going. But um, it's pretty cool that God is doing things. And yeah, it's just, it's just things are coming together and it's awesome. So, so yeah, feel free to give. Yes, I encourage you to do so. We're going to talk about that today on the podcast. But again, I want you to understand that it's not, it's not, I'm not looking, I mean, I'm not looking to get rich. It's not, this isn't how I'm making money or anything. But it is important that I believe it's very important that I offer you the opportunity to partner with what we're doing in the area of finances. And, and you're going to see that in this episode. But I just, I want to be real careful about what I say here that, that it's not, you know, trying to solicit money and all this kind of stuff. Like I, trust me, I can make more money doing a lot of other things than doing a podcast. I guarantee you. It's not about that. But what it really is, is that giving someone an opportunity to sow their financial seed into a ministry that's actually going out and ministering the word of God, that is an eternal thing. If I can give you that opportunity to use your finances to further the kingdom, that's actually going to reap more dividends on your end than it ever is going to be on my end. Because I'm just going to turn around and I'm going to either give the money to someone else or we're going to sow our seed and we're going to do projects in Kenya or you know local stuff or whatever it is. So anyways, I'm, I'm excited about it. I think you're going to hear my heart in this message today. Yep, that was a big, bit of an intro, but we're going to get right into it. So this is me um, sharing the message on the cooperating with the laws of prosperity. I want to motivate this topic by saying, first of all, that Satan is on the move. He's doing things and you know it's up to us to be aware of those types of things. But one of those areas is in the area of finances and specifically the laws of prosperity. Like how many people cringe when they hear that word prosperity, right? This is your day right here, okay? Right here, mark my words. This is your day. That word will change for you. If you receive it right now from the word, we're going to get to some things. And I really do believe that that word is going to stop cringing and it's going to become something good for you today if you'll receive it. At least that's my hope because the Bible is full of the word prosperity. But it is an area where I do really think we need to speak out about. I think this is something very important. This is something that's very near and dear to my heart, is uh, not just the physical logistics of managing finances, but just this whole concept of cooperating with the laws of prosperity. So, I mean, I have 12 pages of notes with, for you guys. Of course, we're not going to get through it all. So if you're freaked out by that, don't worry about it. That's just how I roll. What I do for my preparation for a message is I just write everything down. I brain dump, I organize, and then I'm like, why would I like write a new handout for everybody? I'll just give them what I'm preaching out of. So what you have is your notes. That's what I'm preaching out of. We're not going to cover everything. So some of you may or may not know who um, this person named, his name is Lord Kelvin. (laughs) 
And he is this old guy from the 1800s. And uh, the name Kelvin is ubiquitous in science and mathematics for the temperature scale. Like, that's what he was most known for as a scientist guy. And I have a quote for him, from him. And this is kind of, you might think this is a little bit weird for, for church service, but just hear me out here. This is one thing that he said. He said, when you can measure what you're speaking about and express it in numbers, you know something about it. But when you cannot measure it, when you cannot express it in numbers, your knowledge is of a meager and unsatisfactory kind. This guy was all about measurement, and his big thing was like, we can just get more precise, let's measure stuff, and then we can really understand it. And so the reason I'm bringing this up is because I do believe that we can take a look at our financial aspects of our spiritual life, and we can actually measure some things about it. And I'm going to introduce to you some things today that might be a little bit off-grid, they might be a little bit sideways to your thinking, but I do encourage you, this is something that has changed my life, and if I had all the time in the world, I could just spend all this time with just personal testimonies and how God's done things in my life with regarding prosperity and finances and all this. I mean, I don't even have time to read the notes, let alone you know, preach from them. So what I want to show you is that essentially the primary discovery of my study in the Word of God over the past decade is that God is scientific. He is a planner. He is organized and methodical. And he has engineered all of creation, both the physical and the spiritual worlds, to follow certain laws. Natural laws, airplanes, you know, electricity, think about those types of laws. In the same way, he has engineered things in the spiritual realm to follow certain physics. I call it spiritual physics. And that's just how my brain works. And so that's what I'm going to be talking about. Number two, I'm just saying point one and point two of kind of like these main discoveries that I've made. Number two is that his laws work regardless of a person's relationship with him. This is the crazy part. You guys can see finance, finances work for people who aren't even following God. Isn't that weird? And the reason why is because uh, God designed things to work uh, as, like with physics, right? So these laws work no matter what. But here's the kicker. The design intent that's behind God, all of God's laws, including the natural laws, are that the context is supposed to be with a personal relationship with him, right? Jesus was walking on the water. That's a scientific thing. But it, th those types of crazy things in the physical, physical realm were meant to be for us in the context of relationship. So I'm saying all that to say, the, the laws of the Spirit concerning finances are no different. There is a way that we can operate in finances that are in line with God's Word. And we're going to open that up today. So I'm going to open up in a word of prayer. So Father, God, we just thank you and praise you for your Word. Holy Spirit, thank you for coming. Thank you for anointing me. And thank you for opening our hearts, all of our hearts, to receive your Word today. And Father, we thank you for your freedom and your power and your goodness operating in us. That we can go out and change the world for you. We can do what you've called us to do. We can be an effective church in these last days. In Jesus' name, amen. Just a couple days ago, Caleb and I, Caleb is my seven-year-old, we were playing chess on the floor like we do, and I did this really bad move. Where's, he's not here. <laughs> I did this really bad chess move, <laughs> and I was hoping that he wouldn't see it, right? Like, you know, I'm trying to kind of let him win, but I'm also like, you know, giving it a good shot. And so I do this move that I purposefully know isn't that great, and it was, it was a means to an end, right? Well, sure enough, he catches me, takes out my bishop, and the first thing I said was, oh, man, I was, I was hoping that you wouldn't see that. And this seven-year-old, you know what he said to me? He looked at me and he just nonchalantly says, hope is not a strategy, Daddy. I was like, okay. Whoa, that was pretty profound for a little kid, you know. Hope is not a strategy. Now, I want to say that worldly hope is not a strategy. Godly hope is something else. Godly hope imagines and sees and creates things. And so there is such thing as a godly hope, and that is a strategy. But I just think that little saying is so cute. Hope is not a strategy. Where it's like, oh, I'm just hoping that this is going to happen. Or I just hope it turns out that way. I'm here to tell you that's not a strategy. 
I'm here to tell you that faith is a strategy, though. Faith in the Word of God is a strategy. Hope is not a strategy. I think that's good. We operate on a higher level than the world operates. You are of God, little children. This is what it says in 1 John chapter 4. It says, you have overcome them because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. We have higher ground than the world, and that includes, that includes finances. I'm going to take a small detour for a moment. It's going to feel like I'm going on a tangent, but stay with me. This is, this is all related. On your paper, this might be really, really a lot, but it's page two. And if you're not mathematically minded, don't worry. I'm not going to, I'm not going to like bother you with anything. It's, it's okay. Just track with me for a minute here. I want to talk about taking the Bible more and more seriously. This is something that has blown my mind over the years. And recently, I have kind of been involved in really studying some of these encoded truths in the Bible and stuff like that. Now, don't get me wrong. There's a lot of weird stuff out there with Bible codes and all that. Like, I get it. There's some weird stuff. However, at the end of the day, there are some very, very real, verifiable, provable, scientific patterns in the Bible that are awesome. And the first thing I want to say is, Encoded within Genesis 1.1 as an example and John 1.1, there are some really interesting mathematical constants in there. This is crazy. And me, as an engineering student and as a person who thinks about this stuff, it, I was like, I heard about this years ago, and I'm like, could this really be true? And so I, I set out to discover it on my own. And so you'll see on the bottom right of this page um, this little figure, and those are actually my output from a software program. I wrote a code that did this, and I actually verified that it totally works, and so it totally blew my mind, and I just wanted to share it with you. And all my engineering friends are like, what? Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, right? In the Hebrew, it's seven words, and it's like the paramount scripture of the Bible. It is in the beginning, God, right? If you know nothing else about the Bible, that's enough. In the beginning, God, <laughs> right? None of this other stuff. Now, John 1.1 is the, the parallel to that scripture in the New Testament. It says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. So, Interesting, like you have this Genesis 1-1, John 1-1 thing, you have this parallel. Is there anything deeper? Well, there's something called rational numbers and irrational numbers in mathematics. And I'm just going to suffice to say that rational numbers are numbers that you're used to. Irrational numbers basically have a decimal point and then they go on forever, right? It's super weird. They go on forever. What's up with that? Essentially, uh, I have some examples on the page. You can study it out on your own. But what's interesting is that irrationals contain this idea of never ending. Literally, they've calculated some of these constants out to the billionth decimal place, and they're still going. They just don't end. Isn't that weird? And these numbers are showing up everywhere in nature. The golden ratio you may have heard of, Fibonacci sequence, these curves, these spirals, these things, these are all mathematically related to the same physical constant. It's really weird. Scientists all over the place are, are blown away by this. And if you read these papers, they're all leaning towards design. They're always like, there's, there's design behind this. Like, there's no way around this. All of nature, right? So think of Psalm chapter 19. All of nature calls out. This is just an amazing time that we live. People are able to see things that they've never seen before in science and mathematics, and it is all pointing to the Lord. So I'm excited to live in this time and age where the world is actually ripe. The, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. So that's just one example. Now, in this case, I just want to say that when you take the number of letters times the product of the letters in the Hebrew language, and then you divide it by the number of words times the product of the words, when I say multiplying words, you're like, what? In the Hebrew and the Greek languages, which are the languages that the New Testament and the Old Testament were written in, there are numerical values associated with every single letter. So if I were to say, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In English, that's just a bunch of words. But in Hebrew, each of those letters contain a numerical value, 10, 20, 300, 1, right? You add them all up, and you can actually get numerical values out of the words. And if you do a little bit of math with those, you can get stuff. Interesting. 
So it might be a coincidence, you might think this is crazy, but when you take that and you run that equation through Genesis 1-1, you get the number pi. 3.1412964. Anybody know it past 10 digits? Do you really? Oh, 3.1412654. 3.1412654. I only know it to 10 digits. Go off. Oh, that's right. We talked about that. All right. He, yeah. He's like a, like a pi nerd. But you get pi. You get the number pi, which is um, it's a ratio of, the, of, of a circle's uh, circumference to its diameter. You take any circle, and you can run this equation, and you'll get the number pi. It never ends. Crazy, right? It's a mathematical constant. People have been trying to figure it out for centuries. But when you run it through Genesis 1-1, you get the number pi. Weird. Maybe it's a coincidence, right? To four decimal places? I don't know. That's pretty tight. But we'll see. Maybe it's a coincidence. Run the exact same equation in John 1-1, and you get another mathematical constant. You get the number e which is Euler's number, or it's a it's Neperian logarithm number. Anyway, advanced mathematics uses it all the time. But it's another one of those physical constants that you see everywhere in math and science. Interesting. And so the whole point of this, I, I would love to just go on this forever, but I'm not going to. We'll, we'll move on. The, point, the, why, the reason I bring that up is that um, this, to me, this, this tells me, it just encourages me as a person who already believes the Bible. It just kind of like shocks me a little bit into... Okay, I thought I was taking the Word of God seriously before, but it just encourages me to take it even more seriously from this point on. Every single letter is by design. You've got to understand something, too. This is crazy. The numerical association between the Hebrew um, letters and numbers, that didn't happen until after Moses wrote the Torah, or God wrote the, Moses, uh, the Torah through Moses. So Genesis 1-1 was written before the numerical constants and values were associated with those letters. Think about that for a minute. What does that mean? Very interesting. Whoever wrote the Bible had to be outside of time, scientifically. So anyways, um, I, I, that's, that's an intro. I wanted to bring that up because the, some of the things that we're going to talk about this morning with, when, it, when it comes to finances have been twisted and used and we've heard and we don't like and whatever. I want you to really dig into the Word of God today and I just encourage you to take the Word of God more seriously than you've ever taken it before. Every single letter. Jesus even said, not, you know, not one jot or one tittle from the Bible will be taken away. Uh, those are technical terms um, for the language of the Hebrew writings. A jot was a, a, a yod, which is a line, and then a tittle was literally a little apostrophe on a piece of paper. And he literally is saying every single scratch mark of the Torah, of the Bible, of the, um, the, the text, is, it matters. So um, that just really blessed me, and I hope that encourages you. I want to tackle this issue of New Testament tithing. You guys ready for this? This is like, and this is funny. It seems to me like there's always this question in churches about, should we talk about tithe? Should we not talk about tithe in New Testament? And I love how this church has taken a very, a very healthy approach to tithing. Yeah, we're going to encourage tithing, but we're not going to make it religious because the Bible doesn't. And that's exactly right. You know, God, you know, in the Old Testament, there was a law where you, you did have to tithe and the Jewish law included tithing. But what's interesting about the tithe is that it existed before the law. Nathan talked about that a few weeks ago. And I have some notes here. Again, this, these study notes are for your benefit. I'm certainly not going to go through it all. But I want you to notice is that of the, four, of the seven times in the New Testament that the word tithe is used, four of them are in the book of Hebrews, chapter 7. They're in one context. And all four of those instances are talking about paying tithes to Jesus through Melchizedek. So I encourage you to study that out on your own. You'll find that it's all about paying tithes to Jesus 
and it's all before the law, and also now we're living in a time after the law where Jesus fulfilled the law. But I want to mention that Jesus did actually talk specifically about the issue of tithing. And this, for me, seals the deal. If Jesus talked about it, man, I can take that to the bank, right? Amen, let's do it. So I want to share with you Matthew chapter 23 and also Luke chapter 11. So if you'll turn in your Bibles, I want you to see this for yourself. We're going to go to Matthew chapter 23 and then we're going to go to Luke chapter 11. One of the most important laws when it comes to interpreting the Bible is something called uh, two or three witnesses, the law of two or three witnesses. You don't ever want to go out and make a doctrine out of something you see in the Bible that just occurs one time, like one little one-off statement somewhere. That's not wise. That's not healthy. It, you know, it's something that the Bible actually talks about not doing is, is making a doctrine out of one little tiny thing. And so there's this thing called the law of two or three witnesses. Paul talks about it where if you see something show up in the Bible two or three times and it's the same, you can give it some attention. It deserves some attention, all right? And um, it is something that we can take to the bank. And so in Matthew 23, verse 23, Jesus just gets done with this, I love it, it's just this beautiful, just, I mean, he's just flaying the Pharisees and the religious people up and down one side. I mean, he's just letting them rip. And if you read the whole context, they're always coming to him, asking him all these questions. And it says, you know, the scribes and the Pharisees came to Jesus and tried to corner him, or they tried to entangle him in his talk. And so you're like, okay, what's he going to do? What's Jesus going to do about this hard question? You know, and they, hey, you know, Jesus, should you pay taxes to Caesar or not? And you're like, oh, Jesus, what are you going to say? You know, what are you going to say to that? And Jesus, of course, like every single time, he has this like brilliant answer and silences the religious people. I love it. And so he gets done with all this. And then and in Matthew chapter 22 and 23, he finishes being questioned by them. And then they're all in a corner huddling, talking about what they're going to do next. And he goes and interrupts them. And he's like, hey, hey. I got a question for you now. And they're all like, okay, okay, all right, bring it on. You know, we got 10 of us. There's one of you, you know. I'm making that up a little bit, but that's what happened. He did corner them, you know. He asks them a question, stumps them all, and then it says that they were unable to answer him a word from that day forward. I absolutely love that. I think it's just wonderful. And so after that, he goes into this huge, long thing where he says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. And man, if you read it, he is just not pulling any punches. He's just ripping them. I mean, it's kind of gnarly. You see a side of Jesus that maybe you've never seen before. I mean, he's angry. I think it's great. And so in Matthew chapter 23, listen to this, verse 23. And I'm going to read it out of the NIV version because the NIV is a version that most of the denominations can agree on, right? I'm not picking some like fringe thing over here, you know, that talks about healing or something, God forbid. I'm talking about the NIV. It's basic. A lot of the, uh, these, these guys agree. Listen to this. He says, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. Listen to this. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. A little clunky in the English, but he's saying you should, it's, he's, he's saying you should have practiced the just, justice, the mercy, the righteousness. Like That's what you're missing. You should practice that. But then he also says without neglecting the former. It's interesting. He says... Yes, you should do these, like, you need to get the cart before, or, sorry, you need to get the, not get the cart before the horse, right? You need to focus on justice. You need to focus on righteousness and mercy. But at the same time, yes, tithe. I'm going to show you this in Luke 11:42 now. And I'm going to read it out of the New Living Translation. This brings it out more clearly. This is the same instance. This is the second witness we have here. And I like this version because it really brings out uh, this concept a little bit more clearly. 
that's the same thing. It says, what sorrow awaits you, Pharisees, for you are careful to tithe even the tiniest income from your herb gardens, but you ignore justice and the love of God. Listen to this. You should tithe, yes, but do not neglect the more important things. So the first thing I want you to notice is, yes, it's absolutely scriptural to tithe in the New Testament, 100%. I think everyone should do it. I think it's awesome. We're going to get into some of the specifics on that later, but I just want to bring this to our attention. And I really encourage you, just have a, have a moment. Have a real moment where you're not kidding yourself, and you say, you know what? I'm going to see what the Bible says about tithing, and I encourage you to check it out for yourself and allow the Word of God to challenge you. I know for me, this, this, this is something that I, I look at this, and I can't argue with this. I can't argue with the fact that Jesus said that we should tithe. And so I want to leave that with you and let you think about that. But I do also want to point out that Jesus was making a point. There is a heart behind it, and we're going to get into that. There's a reason for these things. What I'm trying to get to is this main text. I'm on page 5. The main text here is out of 2 Corinthians. If you'll turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 9, that's where we're going to stay the rest of this morning. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul is talking to the believers in the church of Corinth. And he has this amazing, I guess, teaching on all these types of things. But one of the most powerful things he says is in chapter 9 and verses 6 through 11. And I'm going to read this out of the New King James Version. And then we'll go over it. It says, But this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Oh, man. You got to get your religious sunglasses off for this verse. I'm sorry. You just got to, you got to read what the Bible says. Check this out. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. Here it is. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you, always having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. Verse 9, as it is written, he has dispersed abroad, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. That's out of Psalm chapter 112. He's talking about the righteous man. And just like what um, Pastor Randy was talking about last week. In fact, that word upright, Randy, uh, in the Hebrew was this word yashar, which means righteousness, which is actually what Psalm 112 is full of. It's just every other word is upright, 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 and it means yashar. It actually means the person who's upright, not because of their actions, but because of their position in Christ. And this is a person who's following after Christ, who's born again, who's washed in the blood of Jesus, whose sins are forgiven, but now this person is, is making a choice to live out that righteousness. Righteousness and holiness are not the same thing. We talked about that on our Shulamite message. But this is a person who's living out in righteousness. Verse 10, Now may he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food supply and multiply the seed that you have sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness while you are enriched in everything for all liberality, which causes thanksgiving through us to God. Praise the Lord. I think this is amazing. I think Satan really wants to take down the church, honestly, in the area of finances. Because if he can take us out in the area of finances, he can ruin our lives. He can mess up our relationships. He can mess up the gospel going out. I really am I'm so passionate about us connecting with the laws that govern prosperity in a balanced and godly way. Because I've seen firsthand so many things where money can take the gospel to the most needy people on the planet. I don't know if you've ever met somebody, I mean, I've never met anybody in America like this, but in Africa, I've met a, I, had my, I remember meeting my first person who had never heard the name of Jesus before. And to me, that blew my mind. I know if you've been overseas and you've done missions work, you've probably seen that. 
In America, you know, most people have heard the name of Jesus. Most people have heard of the gospel. Man, I just, this guy, he never heard. It was crazy. I got to minister the word of God to him and he got saved. Like, it just, it wasn't a big deal. He, he's like, it's like you look into the person's eyes and they're, they're like, are you kidding me? <laughs> like this, like Jesus, like he does that? Like he can actually make me clean? Like just looking at him was just mind-blowing because he was receiving the word. And it wasn't me. I wasn't, it wasn't that I was such a great preacher. It's that somebody gave me money so that I could go overseas and God put me at the right place in the right time. I could minister Jesus to this person. That's all it is. But it was money. That's what I'm trying to get across. This is, money can be used, not just can be used or whatever, but I really think we need to, man, we need to pony up and get our money going. We can see this thing happen. We can see the gospel uh, spread forth. Man, I'm getting ahead of myself. Woo, we can do it. Praise the Lord. So check this out. In the word, in the, in, in the Greek, the word sows. Okay, so he says, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. I want you to notice that it actually means to scatter seed. So, right? That's, you know, you're sowing, you're throwing a seed out. You're not sowing a sweater. You're S-O-W. You're sowing, sowing seed, right? But it means to scatter the seed. Interestingly enough, the root word in, this Greek, in the Greek is to, to draw a sword. It comes from this idea of you're sowing a seed, and so it kind of has this word picture of, of pulling you know, seed out of They would have their bags on their, on their hips, and they would sow the seed. But that word actually comes from drawing a sword. So I want you to think about that. What does it mean? What are you, what are you drawing your sword? How you are sowing your seed and your finances actually can be thought of as what are you putting your efforts into? What are you battling right now? Your money isn't just floating float out and going into the economy and disappearing. You're actually, if you do it right, you're pointing a sword at the enemy. You can put your sword on his throat, right? You can do things for the kingdom with finances that you can't do with any other type of thing. This is actually a sword that's going out in the spirit. That blew my mind. Interestingly enough as well, this word sparingly, who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. This word comes from the Greek word that means to abstain from or to spare, right? To not do. Another interesting part about where that word shows up in the New Testament is in Romans chapter 8, 32. And it says, he, talking about God, that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? The point I'm making is that this sparing carries the idea of not holding anything back. When God sent Jesus, he wasn't holding anything back. If he was holding something back, we'd all be in a lot of trouble, right? He sent his son to die for our sins. He sent his son to come and die on Calvary and take everything and do a finished work on the cross. If he didn't do a finished work on the cross, we're all in trouble. We might as well just go home. The same word, spared. And so this is, Paul's talking about, hey, if you sow sparingly, you're going to reap sparingly. Don't hold anything back in your giving. And that's something that, you know, Jenny and I have, have really uh, taken a hold of. And we've made a practice in our life. And in fact, I'm certainly not going to go through this now, but there is, later on in our notes, there is a page of just personal testimonies from the Self family. One, one example, I'll just say one example. So Jenny and I, when we were about to have our first child, Caleb, we were pretty poor. We were learning about the things of prosperity, and we were growing in the things of prosperity and all this, but we were still, you know, working hard and having a hard time and all that, and, you know, it's fine. We were saving up and doing our best, and, and we were about to have this baby, and so we saved up our money, and we got our little bank account. And man, it was, for us, it was a lot of money. And we were making ends meet, we were living paycheck to paycheck, and we, were, we knew we were going to have this baby, and so we needed to save up all this money to buy all the stuff. I think it was like two months or so before Caleb was born, there was a situation that happened at our church. There was a person who we knew 
pastor friend and his daughter had lost her baby, tragically lost their baby. And Jenny and I, right in the middle of the church service, because someone was talking about it, we looked at each other, and at the same time, we just both were like, we, we, need, to give, we need to give money to this. We, just, we, need, we feel like the Holy Spirit's leaning on us to, to bless this, this woman. We didn't even know who this girl was. And we both uh, kind of looked at each other at the same time and said, okay, how much do you think and how much do I think? And we said it at the exact same time and we said the same amount, which, by the way, was the entire account. <laughs> it was our whole baby account. We were like, oh, great. I thought that. And then you thought that. So maybe the Holy Spirit says that. So now we have to do it. Well, we were so on fire about this because it was really a thing. We got up right in the middle of the church service, right in the middle of the message. We walked right out of the thing. I don't know what the pastor thought to this day. I mean, we just, we just stood up and walked out. I don't know what he said. Like, maybe he thought he, he angered us or something. But, man, we just got up and walked out. We drove home. We got into our, we were doing the envelope system at the time. We pulled our envelope, our big old fat cash envelope. We brought that thing back. We gave it to someone else so that they could give it to the person so nobody knew and all the stuff. And we emptied our account. And we felt good because we were obedient to God's word. But we also were like, well, now what? You know, we're out of money. We're going to have this baby. Like, we don't have enough money for anything. But we were learning to be obedient to God. We, we don't do this every day. We don't, we don't, we don't empty out our account every, every Wednesday or anything, you know. But anyway, sure enough, you know, baby comes. And I forgot how much it was numerically. But more money and supplies and things came in from us just from gifts than anything that our little account would have ever been able to do. I, I kid you not, it was at least three or four times that amount that came in. And that was one of our first experiences as a couple of seeing God's supernatural provision for, for us just walking in obedience. That's just one testimony. I've literally got at least 100. I'm not exaggerating. We've got so many stories of God's provision. And we're going to come to that. So I want to talk about the purpose of prosperity. And so I just talked about giving and then receiving. And we're talking about sowing sparingly, reaping sparingly, sowing, uh, uh, you know, sowing bountifully, reaping bountifully. And in, in the Greek, that word bountifully really does sound crazy in the Greek. It's, it's more than just the English word bountifully. It's literally a compound of multiple Greek words, and each one of them means super abundantly ridiculously. And then, and then they push them all together. It's like, so in the English, the only way I could say it is like, uh, whoever sows bountifully, meaning super abundantly, ridiculously crazy more than you think, and then do that all again, like super, super. It's like, it doesn't make sense in the English because it's like, why would you use that many you know, descriptors, but that's literally what it is in the Greek. It's like super, super, super. So there is a fact. I do want to encourage you. There is a reality in the Bible. There is the reality of giving and receiving and having God bless us. And that's fine. And that's awesome. And I think we really need to learn how to operate in that. I think that's extremely important. However, that's not the tip of the ice or that's not the top of the thing. That's not the number one thing that we should be doing with our finances. You follow me on that? It's a reality, but it's not the very first priority. I'll explain. I have five points here. Okay, we're going to put them up on the slides, and you also have it in your notes with fill in the blanks. The purpose of prosperity, number one, the very, in my opinion, this is just analogy maybe, but I'm going to show you scripture, but I believe that the very one, number one purpose of prosperity is expressing love and thanksgiving to God. I think that's the first thing. Just giving out of, out of love to him. We've been forgiven of so much, and we, we have so much to be thankful for. And so why not give our finances? Why not give of our substance to him? There's so much scripture. And again, you've seen this ridiculous notes that I have here, but I have so many notes. Go through the Proverbs, especially Proverbs chapter three. It literally says, honor the Lord with your first fruits. Honor the Lord with your substance, with the very best that you have. Honor him with it. It, it honors him. It gives him joy and blessing to, for you to give him money. 
Even if it's just a small amount, it's from the heart. Remember the story about the woman with the two mites. Jesus is sitting there and he sees this woman put two little pennies. They're not even worth a penny. Two of them together was worth less than a penny in our own money today. And she puts the money into the treasury at the temple. And Jesus says, look, she gave more than anyone else did because she gave all she had. She gave from the heart. And so Jesus is watching. And so I want to encourage you. I'm not trying to put pressure on you. I'm encouraging you. Are you giving from the heart? Like, it's a thing. Check your heart. That's all. And I think that it's really important, actually. This is a really important one. Because stinginess and thankfulness cannot be in your heart at the same time. Have you thought about that? He says, let each one, as he has made up his own mind and purposed in his heart, not reluctantly or sorrowfully or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And also in verse 6, whoever sows sparingly and grudgingly will also reap sparingly and grudgingly. So you can sow grudgingly. Think about that. It is possible to sow into the kingdom with the wrong heart. And I'm here to tell you that stinginess and thankfulness cannot be in your heart at the same time. You can have one or the other. Now the cool thing about this is that you can lead your heart. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 21, we have this verse that I always read it backwards. You might have to turn to this to see it yourself. But I always thought that this verse said, your, your heart determines where you put your treasure, essentially. You know, it says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I always thought that that meant, yes, you know, where your heart is, that's where your money is, right? No, look at what it says. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Will be. It's not there right now, but it will be. So you can actually put your treasure out in front of you and your heart can follow it. Think about that. You can actually guide your own heart by where you put your treasure. And I've done this so many times where I'm like, okay, I want my heart to be in a certain place, but it's just not in that place. Like, I, it's just not. I'm, I'm offended at that minister or that pastor or whoever it is. Not you, Josh, but, you know, it's just, just some pastor out there, just some church, right? <laughs> you know, whatever. I don't like how they do business. I don't like his, his accent. I don't like whatever. You know, I don't know. And so you have this thing in your heart where you're like, I want to be there. I want to be there, but I'm just not there. Well, I'm here to tell you, the Bible says you can, you, your heart can follow where your treasure goes. You can actually use finances as a way to lead your heart. It's incredibly powerful, and it just is something that I've missed for so many years. It blows my mind, and it works. Just like Lord Kelvin says, if you can't measure it, you don't know much about it. This is something I've measured in my own life. It works. I can actually, I can actually choose where my heart goes based on where I put my money. Very interesting. Something to think about. Another thing in Luke chapter 6 and verse 45, we all are probably very familiar with this. He's talking about out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so if you ever want to know where your heart is, you can check your words, see what you're saying, see what's coming out of your mouth. You know, what are you talking about with your friends? What are you saying about this person or that person? It's easy to, you can check your heart by what your, what your words are saying. The number two thing here, I, I think, uh, underneath that, underneath expressing love and thanksgiving to God is simply walking in obedience to the word of God. And we've covered a couple of scriptures this morning, and I'm not going to take the time to go through the rest of these notes, but I believe it's very clear in the word of God that giving is, is on God's heart. It's actually on his, it is part of his heart. It is part of his desire, is that we would use these things like finances to, to walk in obedience, that we would give them. In fact, again, you look at the Old Testament, and his heart was to have the people give to the Levites, have them give to the temple, have them support the work of the ministry and these types of things. In fact, if you're wondering about this, there actually are some verses 
where Paul talks about financially supporting the local pastor. It's scriptural, and it's actually something that uh, I, I believe very strongly in. I think we should be treating our pastors, um, you know, it says let, uh, treat them with double honor, you know, and, and count them worthy. People that are ministering the word to you, give them finances. It actually specifically means that in the Greek, finances. Um, Galatians 6.6 6 talks about where you, that, that you should give where you are fed spiritually. If, if somebody is sowing unto you spiritual things, you should be giving to them. Now, I will say this since I, I'm teaching right now. I'm not trying to get money. I have nothing on that. I don't care, honestly. Um, I do have some books in the back that I, would, I really want you to get, and I, I want you to get. And if you, if you don't want to buy them, just take them. I don't care. And I'm selling them at cost, so that's all fine. If you want to bless me and buy them, go buy them online, pay full price. That's fine. But the books that I have are something that I really think that would bless you and, and encourage you. But I'm not saying any of this because I'm on staff, because I'm not. I'm not getting paid. I'm not getting paid for this. So I, I, that's what I love about teaching finances. I'm, I'm not in it for anything, personally. I'm on fire because the Lord has done these things in my life. I've seen them work so many times. I want to deposit that in your life. And I want other people to experience this as well. Um, but there is scripture about uh, giving where you're fed. And I think that's very important. Um, and that falls under the category of just walking in obedience to God. And I think that's something a lot of us need to, need to consider. Check this out. So when you build your life and you base your decisions on feelings, I believe that you're headed for a train wreck. When you base your life on obedience and faith in the word of God, you'll see the impossible take place. Chew on that. Think about it. Do what you will with it. But I've seen it work in my life too many times to not be true. Basing my life on the word of God has always yielded the most amazing dividends, but also the most amazing experiences, and I've seen the impossible take place. We are to carefully consider and plan our giving. Look at that. That's interesting. There is a, a, an emotional aspect to it, too, like, like I shared with me and Jenny giving in the Holy Spirit. So, but again, that doesn't happen every week. right? That's a rare occasion. Jenny and I have, have tuned our ears. We've, we've learned how to listen to the Holy Spirit, and we know his voice, and, and we, we're very careful with that. And so I just want, I want to encourage you to be careful about giving emotionally. You know, like you, maybe you have somebody who's really charismatic or something, and oh, give to this cause. Just be careful about it. That's a practical consideration, but the Bible does talk about that, about carefully considering your giving, planning ahead, thinking about it. Paul was like, hey, plan this thing out, you know, get your money together and, and have it prepared when I come and have it ready on the first day of the week and, and, and prepare for it. So I think that's really cool because, you know, God's not out to take advantage of us, but he wants to take care of us and he wants to help us utilize finances to make the biggest impact on others and also ourselves. We are also called to excel in the art of giving. And that's something I believe is just wonderful. I remember kind of tracking Jenny and I, and I'm, I'm, not gonna, I'm not saying this to make us sound cool or anything, but over the years I've been tracking how much we've been able to give other people as a gift, you know, like a lump sum. It's like somebody's on our heart, you know, we give X amount. For a while it was, it was you know, a really small amount. But it was still a sacrifice to us. But as the years have gone by and as God has prospered us, that number is getting larger. And it's just awesome. I love being able to bless somebody with a little bit, with a more significant amount than just a $5 bill or something. We can give hundreds now, and we used to not be able to give, like $100 would have just been insane. And that stretched our faith. But now we can give more. Why? I believe it's because we've been practicing these things slowly over the years, being faithful with the little things, being faithful in much, and letting God do these things. And I'm just, I'm just so thankful to, to learn how to excel in the art of giving. I've given away cars. I've received cars. It's amazing. It's fun. It's really fun when, when someone gives you a car. And then you realize, you're like, you know what? That, that wasn't me. Like, that's not because, that's literally because I've sown. I've sown some things in my life. And this is, this is a blessing. This is a harvest coming in. Like, it's cool. 
It takes that weird part out of it. You guys hear what I'm saying? It takes this weird part out because you're walking in relationship with the God of money. He's the one who came up with the gold and the silver are his, is what the Bible says. All of the earth, the cattle on a thousand hills, all these things belong to him. We're just using resources. He's training us through these resources. And so when you look at it that way, when you look at it through um, my points number one and two, expressing love and thanksgiving to God is like the number one thing. And then number two, walking in obedience to the word. If that's your motivation behind managing and dealing with your finances, everything else is going to fall into place. And you are going to start seeing yourself get prosperous, but it's not going to have a hold on you like you thought it would. I have been so concerned for so many years about prosperity because I didn't want it to come between me and my relationship with God, honestly. I was so in love with God and so happy with where I was with him, I didn't want prosperity to come and turn my heart away from the Lord. And so I've been a little bit concerned about it for years. But once you start walking in it, and for me, keeping, it, keeping first things first, my relationship with God first, it's a love expression, being obedient to the word of God, I have no problem with the money coming through my hands anymore. It just comes through, I give it away, and then more comes. Like, I don't know where it comes from. It just shows up, and I just give more away, you know? And it's beautiful. And, and in the process, you get prospered. We're getting to that. The, first, the third thing that I have here, I am kind of putting this in a hierarchy. So I think, I think this is how I think about it. Number three, carrying out the Great Commission. You can take part in the eternal salvation of people through giving finances. So the message is free. We all know that. The message of Jesus Christ is free. But it does cost money to see the message go where it needs to go. Like I said a moment ago, I just used that quick story about just seeing one person born again in another country. On that same trip, we saw almost 1,000 people born again in a period of 10 days. Was it because we were so? No, it had nothing to do with us, honestly. It literally was God was orchestrating the situation such that a small group of people from America were at the right place at the right time, and the finances were there to bring us and to bring the message to the people, and almost a 1,000 people got saved. More people in the kingdom. That's number three, man. Carrying out the Great Commission. It costs money. I have a quote that I want to read to you. You may have heard of a man named Gordon Lindsay. He formed Christ for the Nations. You may have heard that. Missions organization. So check this out. He wrote this quote in 1961. This is amazing. 1961. Listen to this. He says, The main hindrance to world evangelism has not been for the want of devoted missionaries, nor is it the lack for trained nationals, which was a serious problem for many years. The hour has come when we have an eager army of gospel soldiers ready to launch out in faith and to preach the apostolic gospel. And they are doing it. Nor is there a lack of people responding to the message. Any missionary will tell you that almost in every place an evangelistic effort is attempted, hundreds, and in many cases, even thousands will respond. Where then is the lack? It is in the lack of the necessary financial assistance that often is not available at the moment that the Spirit of God moves in a community. Man, sobering words. If you haven't heard of joshuaproject.com, I encourage you to check out Joshua Project. And you can keep tabs on probably the best statistical analysis of where the world is at when it comes to evangelistic efforts or people being born again and people groups. And so I'll go on there and pray over certain people groups. We are doing work in Kenya, and we are reaching people that are at the very bottom of the scale, meaning they are the most unreached of the unreached of the unreached people. And that's where my heart, you know, for international missions is, is for those people. And money can do it. It's crazy. Money can, can, can make things happen. So I think carrying out the Great Commission in these days, yes, is praying for the Lord of the harvest to send out the laborers of the harvest field, but it is a reality that we have so many missionaries. We have the resources more now than we've ever had in the history of the world. <laughs> 
Uh, it's just getting those finances to move the ship, right? To move the thing forward. I think if, if we could really get on that, we could see the thing change. Number four, engaging with the vision of the local church. Again, I want you to note that if Jesus is the head of the local church, or if he's the head of the church in general, then when you give to your local church, you're giving to him. Hey, that settles it for me. Jesus has put the local church in a place strategically with a specific vision, like Josh was talking about earlier, a specific vision from the Lord Jesus. Uh, and there's so many verses, you know, in Romans chapter 10. How are the people supposed to hear if they don't have a preacher? Right? How, how are you going to hear about the gospel if you don't have somebody sent out to minister to them? Well, in this neighborhood here, in this, in this region here, um, the local church can, can make a difference. We can do things. It's the same thing. Finances, the, the, the local church needs the finances to get out and to do stuff. And so I think that's, that's number four. That's extremely important uh, is, is to do that. All right, so number five. Notice this. Way at the bottom, number five, the very last thing on my list is to give in faith with expectancy for personal blessing. Yes, it's on the list, and yes, it's at the bottom of the list. However, it's on the list. And if you look at the notes, look at this. I have got way too many, I mean, too many scriptures to even think about right now that have to do with, with this particular thing. Remember to take the Bible seriously. <laughs> Luke 6.38. How many of you know that one off the top of your head? Give, and it will be given unto you. Pressed down, shaken together, and running over will men pour into your lap. The blessing of God, the money. is actually talking about physical finances. How? Men are going to pour in. Why are they going to pour in? It says give, and it will be given unto you. So there is this reality of giving and giving in faith. And I want to encourage you. There might be some of you who have been faithfully paying your tithes, who have been operating in some of these principles, but what you're missing is you haven't been giving it in faith. You've been doing it just out of duty. And there's a difference. When you give it out of duty, I think that's better than not giving at all. However, when you give in faith, you can actually expect to see a return on that. There's a difference. The things of the Spirit. When you engage your faith and you give to the church, and instead of just grudgingly, right, check your heart. Okay, I'm just writing another check to the church. It's my duty. Well, where's your heart in that? I want to encourage you on that. Jenny and I have done that for so many years. I should say tithing for so many years. And there are times when we just do it habitually. We just do it as kind of a, a rote thing. And then nothing, I don't see any results from that in my own personal life. Of course, I'm giving and I'm being dutiful and I'm walking in obedience to the word. But I can tell you right now, 100% of the time, when her and I lay hands on that tithe or that offering or that gift to the pastor or to whomever else that the Lord puts on our heart, when we lay hands on that thing as an act of faith and we give it to them, to the Lord, every single time we see a blessing on our own life, every single time we see something amazing happen on our own life, and I got to tell you that we're not giving for that purpose only. It's not a selfish type of giving, but I also want to encourage you that it is a reality, that it's okay to believe in faith and take God as his word. And that's why I've included so many of these scriptures here is for you to convince yourself, as I've learned to convince myself over the years, that prosperity is for the Christian, but it's not for personal gain and it's not for covetousness. That's the difference. Prosperity is awesome and it is to be used wisely, but I think that with the, with the church broke and poor, and walking around, showing how humble they are because the Lord has just humbled them so much that they're so poor. I don't think that's a good witness to the unbelievers because the unbelievers, God is money. And so if they see a poor person, oh, you know, I just, the reality is, is that that's not, that's not going to be a blessing to them. Now, I'm not saying that, you know, if you're poor and you're a Christian that something's wrong with you. I'm just trying to call you up to a higher level. And I do encourage you to check out these scriptures. That's, you know, for instance, Psalm chapter 35 
Verse 27 says the Lord has pleasure in the prosperity of his servant. Why? Because that servant has learned the art of allowing finances to come in freely and to freely give. With that chain flowing, with that pipe flowing of finances, you can be a blessing to so many other people. Look back at 2 Corinthians chapter 9 like we were studying earlier. He says, so that you would have an abundance for every good work. Verse 10, and God who provides seed for the sower and bread for eating. See, he provides the seed. Think about that. He's the one who provides the seed. Bread for eating will also provide and multiply your resources for sowing and increase the fruits of your righteousness. Then you will be enriched in all things. Praise the Lord. He's faithful. He's so faithful. And, and we moved down here, and I remember one day, Jenny and I had, I still have this huge whiteboard. It's a four-by-eight-foot whiteboard. <laughs> it's in my garage right now. I had, it, I had no other place to put it in, in up, up north in our old house, and so we put it right in front of the kitchen table, and Jenny just rolled her eyes, you know, what are you doing with that thing? And I'm doing all my math equations on this board, and she's sitting eating dinner, you know, and she's like, why don't I have to look at that thing? But I remember just before we moved down here, we're sitting there, and I, I just, I remember it as if it was yesterday. And I was using a red pen. Why was I using a red pen? It was so depressing. And we're writing down all the finances, you know, what it's going to take for us to move down here. We're counting the costs. Like, we're in faith, and we're believing God to do things, but we're also counting the costs, and we're writing down the numbers. And I just remember getting to, down to the end of that thing, and it's like, okay, this is in red for a reason. Like, it's not going to work. Physically, on paper, I've done the math. I have my calculator out. This isn't going to work. It looks like we're going to move down to California, and we're going to be homeless within, like, a month. Like, literally, that's what it looks like on paper. And so we just went through this whole process of just, okay, did we actually hear from God? <laughs> did he actually say this? You know, are we hearing from him? Is this the real deal? And we were totally convinced that we had heard from God. And so we moved down here, and so many things happened. There's a couple of stories on, on the paper that you can read yourself. But one of the things that happened was within the first, for the first two months that we were down here, we had zero income, right? We had some money in the bank, and then the move cost like twice as much as we thought. So we're just like, oh, man, we're in trouble here. You know, we got nothing. And we had just a little bit of left in the bank. We start going to a church down in AG, and this woman, we heard this story about a woman who had lost her husband, and there's this whole really sad thing. And again, Holy Spirit speaks to Jenny and I at the same time. We look at each other, and we're like, this feels just like it did, you know, years ago when Caleb was born, and it's the same thing. And so we just looked at each other, we said, man, we got to do it, we're doing it, you know. And so we went back, and I think we actually left the church service in the same thing. We left right in the middle of this preacher's message, you know. Got up and ran home and came back. Did the same thing. Emptied out our account. And at this point, we have nothing left. We're actually out of money. And we're like, okay, but we've seen you do it before, right? We have a, we have a track record. We have, we have a measurement here, right? We've seen the Lord do it before. Okay, so we're going to be obedient because we can. Because that's what we do. We've decided to do it. And sure enough, I mean, it was supernatural, the things that happened. We had checks in the mail to show up. You know, we had crazy things happen that you would, never, you would almost never believe if, it was, if, I, you know, if, I, if I told you. Uh, money just showing up out of nowhere, and God took care of our needs. And so I believe that this is a growth thing, right? If you, if you learn how to be faithful with one thing, he will entrust into you a greater opportunity. And we were able to really minister and bless this person, right? And who knows what her story was, but she really needed the money, right? It, it was a great blessing to her. I had somebody where I gave them a car, and I didn't know anything about it. I didn't hear anything about it for years. And they reached out to me on Facebook. They found me on Facebook. I didn't even know who it was when they reached out to me, honestly. I was like, who is this person? took me a few minutes to realize who it was, and this person was telling me that when we gave them that car, it saved their life. I'm like, what? 
But it did, like I guess they were going through some stuff and just having that, that car and all the money and whatever, and it just, it was this situation where they were going through stuff that I had no idea what was going on. But that literally, she said, saved her life and her kids from living on the streets and just all this crazy stuff. And she came to know Jesus through it. And I'm just sitting here. I'm not preaching the gospel. I'm not doing anything, man. I'm just doing my thing. And I'm checking Facebook one day. And I'm like, what? I did that? You know, I didn't, I didn't mean to do that. I just was obedient. Stuff like that. Like, again, she reached out of nowhere and was like, yeah, we found Jesus through this. I'm like, what? It's a car. Okay. Isn't that good? Come on. I'm going to call you up to a higher place. All of us to a higher place. I'm speaking to myself, too. I'm, I'm encouraging myself right now. <sighs> He's so faithful. All right, I'm going to close this out. I want you to know that this, the Bible is, is so accurate. Every single letter matters. And so that's my first encouragement. That's my challenge to you, is when you read the Word, take every, every word, every letter. And, and again, when I, let, me, let me caveat this by saying we read a lot of English translations, right? Not all of those are perfect. In fact, none of them are actually perfect. And so there are tools now that you can use for free to look into the Greek and Hebrew text, and you don't even have to know the language. You can just look it up on the internet. And you can actually see what the original text of the, of the language says. Those are the things that you're going to get blown away by. The English translations, you know, they do a good job to a degree, but there are issues with them. So I just want you to be aware of that, okay? The English translations, there's always little issues here and there because you're trying to translate out of a different language. But the text is solid. The biblical text, I've just given you one example of the mathematical beauty behind it. God's word is true. And when he speaks something to you, this is the application, when he speaks something to you prophetically or through the word, you can take it to the bank. It's absolutely true. And you, can put, you can bet your life on it. And we have many times. And he's pulled us through. I want to encourage you as well that, um, you know, this all starts with Jesus. The cool thing is, is that all this mathematical beauty and the perfection of the word and all this, this isn't just for us to learn how to be prosperous and all this. It points to Jesus. Everything in the Word of God points to Jesus. The Old Testament, the New Testament. The Old Testament is the New Testament concealed, I believe. And the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. And it all points to Jesus. It's beautiful. And so Jesus is the starting point to all of this, right? If you haven't received Jesus, that's the point. That's the starting point. That's the foundation. It might sound good to walk in all this stuff and give away. You might want to go give away a car tomorrow or something. So I, I don't... I don't recommend it, <laughs> but, but the starting point is Jesus. The starting point is relationship with him. And then when you have that figured out, then yeah, you can go out and do some crazy stuff and it'll, and it'll work. But it all starts with relationship with Jesus. So I do encourage you to take a look at that. For those of us who are, you know, have maybe been walking in this or are learning to walk in this, I want to challenge you to, I guess for lack of a better way to put this, I just want to challenge you to get off the fence about giving. Get off the fence about giving. Fish or cut bait is what I say. Figure it out and do it. Check out what the Word says and then let the Word challenge you and then do what the Holy Spirit leads you to do. That's my encouragement. Put the, put the Word of God to work in your life. That's my challenge. And maybe if that's offensive, I'm sorry, but the way I am is I like to be challenged. Like, I'm okay with that. I'm okay with God hitting me with a hard truth because I'm like, okay, I'm still sensitive, okay? You know what I mean? Like, I am not like callous or something. Like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to humble myself to receive God's Word. And so I, I pray that you, you would do that as well. Um, and then also for those of us who maybe are, are already walking in this and who are, have been walking in, in either prosperity or giving and receiving and, and all these blessings, what are we thinking next? Are we thinking increase? I want us to think about increase. Think about legacy. What's next? How can we take our giving to a new level? How can we take our missional movement to a new level? How, you know, where can you strategically draw that sword? Right? What's the Holy Spirit leading you to? 
where do you want to put your finances to make the biggest and strongest impact for this world, for the, for, for the glory of Jesus? But again, let's start with the basics. Thank you, Lord. Um, at the very end of this paper that I, that I have for you, I'm not going to go through this now, but I do have some sections here called personal reflection. And again, you take it or leave it, but I did want to give you an opportunity to go deeper if you want to on your own. And so I've written a few questions and, and you know, what are, you know, what's the Holy Spirit revealed to you today? Write it down, you know, that kind of thing. But I do encourage you to take some time. I know for me personally, this is how my brain works. This might not be how your brain works, but the way my brain works is if I hear something and it's a lot, like I'm sure all this is, is a lot, take it and meditate on it. You know, take some time and really engage with the Holy Spirit on what he's doing. Did he stir something up to you today? Did something I said stand out to you? Did something, you know, maybe trigger something in you? Well, I encourage you, um, if you've ever been to a, a good chiropractor, they know how to find that spot in your back that hurts really bad, or, or a massage therapist. Like, they know exactly where to put their thumb or whatever it is on your, on your back, and you're like, okay, that hurts more than anything I've ever felt in my life. But the thing about it is they'll push on it really hard, and they won't move. Have you, has anybody here ever had this? A couple of you? It's the best thing ever. And they push really hard in this one spot, and you think you're going to die. But then what happens eventually with enough time is that muscle, you can actually feel this tight muscle relax. And it only happens through the right pressure and the right angle and all their crazy magic that they, you know, I don't know, not, not really. But I mean, just physically, like, how they do it. But that's the Holy Spirit. He knows exactly what pressure points we need to navigate. And I'm telling you, it might not feel good or something. It might be a challenge. But if you stay in that place long enough with the Holy Spirit and you let him speak to you through the word, you'll feel these things loosen. And you'll, feel, and you'll have revelation come. You'll have the power of the Holy Spirit come on you in a new way. That's the way I think. Anyway, praise the Lord. That's what I had on my heart for you today. Father God, we just thank you and we praise you. Lord, we thank you for your word. And Father, we thank you that you... You are so amazing. You are outside of time. I mean, you, you exist on a higher dimension than time. So you see the end from the beginning and the beginning from the end and all these amazing things. But Lord, you would take the time to, to love us and to speak to us on these things like finances and prosperity. Lord, I just, I just praise you and I speak over all of us that we would receive your word with truth, that we would study these things out on our own. And the Holy Spirit, that you would speak to our hearts, that you would bring revelation to our hearts and our minds, that you would wash us with the water of your word concerning finances, and that we would become a church, we would become a group, a body of people who would use finances to change the world, to, ch to bring people into your kingdom, Father. And not only that, but Father, I just speak right now over the curse of poverty, the curse of lack over people's lives, and I command it to cease and desist in Jesus' name. Satan, you have no more hold on us, for we are bought with a price. We are children of the Most High God. We are his children, and he wants what's best for us. Father, I thank you and praise you that you're helping us to put first things first, the love of God and, and, and all these types of things, Lord, and, and moving forward with your gospel. But Lord, I also thank you and praise you that you do have blessing for us, that we can walk in biblical, godly, balanced prosperity. Lord, as your word says, even in Deuteronomy chapter 28, Lord, that you said that we are the head, not the tail. We are above, not beneath. That we're going to go out and, and we're going to lend. Or yeah, we're going to lend and we're not going to borrow. You know, all these amazing things, Lord, that you have for us. We just thank you that you open your eye, oh, that you open our eyes to the truth of your word concerning these things. And Father, I just release a blessing on these people in the mighty name of Jesus. And I thank you and praise you, Father. We just worship you and bless you in the mighty and the wonderful name, the name above every name, the name of Jesus. Thank you for it. We just give you all the praise and the glory, Father, for what you're doing. Amen.
Thank you for listening to the Unstoppable Podcast. For more resources, including previous episodes, blogs, and free downloadable content, visit us at unstoppableblog.net. You can also find us on Facebook at Unstoppable Blog. We hope this podcast has encouraged, equipped, and empowered you with meaningful insight from the Word of God to receive His promises and live a life without limits.